Come on, you sissy, be a man. Don't cry. Grow some muscle, you puny wimp. Real men are ripped. Kick his ass. What? You ate a salad? Fucking rabbit food. Real men eat meat, and only meat, cooked over a fire on a stick. You want that woman? Fucking fuck her. What? She said no? So what? Inside, every no is a yes waiting to come out. You just gotta get it out of her by getting it in her. Know what I mean? We all know what toxic masculinity is. Or do we? Why is it suddenly a thing the media is obsessed with? And is it really a new phenomenon at all? Where does it come from? Is it simply an inherent aspect of being a male? How is it taught? How is it reinforced? How is it represented in the stories we read and watch? How do we diffuse it? What is the antidote? Join me and my intrepid co-host, Jen Zuko, as well as some other guests, as we embark on another semi-drunken exploration of the intersection of literature and society as we discuss problematic, toxic masculinity tropes. So here we are, toxic masculinity tropes number two, grow a pair. <laughs> I assume of testicles. Not of boobs. <laughs> no boobs. That would be girly to grow boobs. Therefore, right. you must grow testicles. It would be the whole thing about um, Robert Paulson and Fight Club, right? <laughs> that was that whole plot yeah. about that character. <clears throat> but grow a pair does not mean physical because physical was our first trope so no. it means it means point. of course yes to be emotionally masculine or stoic or emotionless you must i like i like how you you attempt to summarize my tropes since i'm the one that like pinpoints them and like writes about them yep it's nice to hear you try and summarize them because that way i can go oh yeah good i wrote it right or i can go oh you totally misunderstood that that's right. on me that's my writing problem so <laughs> so did i get it right just oh, yeah it? no it yeah. sounds yeah, yeah. um Boys so cry. yeah it's it's the whole thing where where we try to because you know, it's not just in the jet in the in the Star Wars movies, but it's in it's in a whole slew of things. Most most action heroes, you know, they that's they go through this thing. You know, there's it's it's kind your, of all heroes, really. Yeah, there's there's it. a there's a transformation thing that goes on, particularly when you know because so let's 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 cycle back and and use one of our Captain America. Um, or one of our Marvel things and go with Captain America when, okay. when Cap is, is skinny and right. not powerful, he's allowed to be, you know, somewhat emotional and, 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 you know, worry about being with his friends and all and you that. you know why that is? Cause he's weak. He's not considered manly. So and when he, you when know he, why that is? Why? Because he's skinny and therefore feminized, right. which goes That's back what to our was, trope number one. Right, which is what I was no, saying. No, I don't. I'm just, I, I need to say the word feminized. Oh, you need to I feel feminized. like I needed to, wanna, okay. I needed to insert that word in there. <laughs> you know, to coin a, a, a male sort of term. <laughs> so, and then of course, not only does not only does Cap grow a pair, he grows a whole fucking new body. 
Right. Which so is, he, he, he becomes big, which means he becomes heroic, which is about, the, and, which is what a, the first trip is for. So apparently. And then he also becomes totally like, yeah, stoic. he no longer like cares. Right. Or I, I don't really know much about it, but. Well, he cares a little bit. He has, I mean, the whole arc of, of the, uh, of the MCU has, you know, cap when he has the time to track time travel and set things right, goes back to 1940 something and, and shacks up with the woman he had to leave behind in time. <laughs> Right. So it's 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 interesting. But um, so, yeah, the basic. So and of course, your your core example here is the Jedi Order and, and of course, Star Wars, where here we are picking on poor old Hayden Christensen again. <laughs> you know, I, I feel sorry for him and I'm sure he feels bad all the way to the bank. So whatever. Bad all the way. I would like to feel bad all the way to the bank. But yeah, I would, too. I'd be fine all the way to the bank. But actually actually where I really got that specific central mm-hmm. example from is from that great um, pop culture detective video, which is the case against the Jedi order. Right. And it was, I was actually watching that piece of, it was a, it's a think piece. It's online. You can find mm-hmm. it. Um, it's really well done. And that's actually what made me go, Oh, because we all are like, Oh, the Jedi are so Zen. Like that's kind of, we had this kind of faux Zen thing going right. on with them. But then when you really get down to it and, and actually the pop culture detective does a great job of this. He's, he like puts it forward in in these steps, he's like, Hey, look, this is how damaging this is. And right. you know, the Jedi are being taught basically Yoda's lessons for Anakin. Mm-hmm. He's a nine year old kid. He misses his mother. They left her behind to be a slave on a harsh planet with a harsh master. Yep. Of course he's afraid. Of course he misses her. Of course he has fear. He's not just automatically going to become a dark, a, a Sith just because he misses his mom. Right. So like, there's all this, like all these examples about how he's just told, Hey, you know what? You shouldn't be caring like that. Suck especially it up. about a woman, especially about a woman. Right. You know, the thing is you know, though, is you're, that as you're too attached, you're way too attached. You need to not be attached and that way you can get your power. Right. Whereas there's huge power in being vulnerable and, and asking for help in, in talking about your feelings and, and getting, getting a community around you, not just oh, being sure. so lifted above and dissociated mm-hmm. from everybody. Now, have you that's, seen, that's where the damage comes in. Have you seen the two most recent star Wars movies? Yes. Okay. So, you know, I, I, I would be interesting to see, cause they do it a little bit when they talk about Luke and how he's different from Anakin. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, but I'd be interesting to see how they would read tool that, that video um, taking into some of the things Luke has to say in the, in particularly in the second movie. Well, I, how, I think it makes total sense. About how in, the Jedi the, order got it wrong and they were, they had become too um, emotionless. It completely makes sense. It, it's the, it's the logical next step. Everyone's like going, right. Oh my God, that's not my Luke Skywalker. It, to me, that's the logical next step. This is a character who, as the pop culture detective video said, is at his best when he's not obeying the Jedi order. Right. He then becomes this hermit who's bitter, who sees the dark side in his nephew and is like, Oh shit. And we can curse here. Right. Is that, do I forget? What? About, is that fine? Okay. I'm sorry. Fucking I forgot. The, I mean, <laughs> we've, we've re- okay. We have a little E next to it. Okay, good. So, and even if, you, even if we didn't, fuck them. <laughs> fuck them. It's right. my fucking fucking show. 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> all of you, fuck Jason and me. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe risk some some nerd rage from some neckbeards. Oh hey, spoiler alert for spoiler number alert. four. Um, but that I, to me, that bitter, mortified, terrified, like forced into ex- right. self forced into exile. He forced himself into exile. Right. Luke is the perfect next step for that character. Absolutely. That makes total sense to me. He's been through the training. Of course, there weren't many left to train him, but he, he went through it. He realized how fucked up it was. He, he was at his best when he wasn't fully obeying the Jedi order. When Anakin was, was obeying the Jedi order, he cracked. Right. And that's exactly why he became Darth Vader. Luke didn't right. become Darth Vader because he's like, fuck you, Jedi Order. I'm going to go save my friends. Right. And fuck you, Jedi Order. I'm not going to kill my father. I'm going to try and save him. And right. I failed. But you know what? That's fine. And then there's that moment where he he sees it in Ben and he re- he tries to actually be the real Jedi for once. I think there's just, just been this. I mean, this is just my reading of the character with that huge gap of time that we have. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm reading into that which is there's this huge gap of time between him losing his father, but his father is redeemed in death. Right. But there's all this time where he's like, I, I failed at being a Jedi because he's been taught the other way. And so then when he has an opportunity to start training Jedi, I'm sure he has this Mm -hmm. not only just like imposter syndrome to the T to a, to a T to, to the max to a T and to the max, the TJ Maxx. Um, but he, <laughs> do you have a fever right now? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm fine. Okay. No, it was a weird stomach thing. I have no idea what it was. It's, it's almost totally gone. Um, but do, do you know what I'm saying? I just notice yeah. when I make errors, I notice when I make errors when I write as well as when I speak. So, but that's, that's what I'm seeing in there is that mm-hmm. he had probably a giant amount of doubt. He was mm-hmm. probably self questioning like second guessing everything he did while he was teaching those Jedi. And when he right. saw that dark side happen in Ben, probably pretty strongly, he kind of fucked up. And that totally right. makes sense to me. Absolutely makes sense to me. And the way he, he reacted to that fucking mm-hmm. up also completely makes sense to me. That just is right. totally what that character would do. He wouldn't go become a blue and glowing obi-wan though right. who knows in this next movie maybe he'll be a blue and glowing luke that'd be so cool um well i'm sure he will but he also doesn't become a darth vader either he right. just he just loses it and be, is a human well so here's the thing i mean and every, every time every time that that i get into a conversation that brushes up against and these conversations don't just brush up against it. These attack concepts of masculinity head on. And so what I find when I get into conversations like this, I'm always conflicted. And I'm always kind of like, yeah, but, and I'll t- see if I can, ex- if I can get to that really quickly without a lot of bad. What's, what's the, but about this one? Exactly. Um, what's this, butt? so, well, it's a pair of cheeks and I've grown them. <laughs> I, <laughs> See, okay. So that's the title of this one. What's this, but I've grown a pair of cheeks. 
describe this describe this this butt. I can't oh do that God. gag when I've got a beard. Did I can't you, did you actually do that? You just made that sound in your microphone. That is yeah, I did. So <laughs> but I can't do it very well uh, with the beard because uh, my f- hands slip off my cheeks. I you know what? what? You know what? It worked. So I, I had to be really happy pinch. about that. Anyway. Hey Heather. Have fun with that one. <laughs> okay, so so um one I was thinking about this earlier today when I was rereading the article as prep. So describe the butt. Um, okay, you know, a lot, with the, people see a lot of echoes of Buddhism in the Jedi, you know. Yes. And well, well, there are mistranslations, though I have to say, slightly I'm sorry mistranslations. To yes, yes, yes. But it's but it's important that we that we concentrate on that for a moment for at least okay, this. okay, because. Sweet. Because of the, there is a mistranslation and an echo going on, which leads people yes. to think that they're based on on Buddhist ideas. And the important thing to remember, uh, those of us being you and I both having gone to a Buddhist school and studied so little bit of Buddhism, will right. tell you that it's not the having of emotions that is bad. It's not the having of emotions that leads to suffering. It's clinging to them, obsessing over them. You know, we acknowledge that you, you know, you feel happy, you feel sad, you feel angry, you feel hurt, but you don't dwell on that. That's the whole point behind when they talk about letting go or or controlling your emotions in Buddhism. It's about not dwelling on that. You feel and the desire thing too, like the the clinging to and being obsessed with desire, particularly in cases of pain, not the desire to to go and fix it, but to feel the pain and let it pass through you and let go of it. That's healthy because that's what Buddhists will tell you. Yes. Feel the emotion, feel the happy, feel the suffering, feel the pain, feel it, but don't dwell on it. Don't keep it. Yeah. Right. And Anakin actually is dwelling on his feelings. He's obsessing over them. And yes, it's because he's not getting support. He's not, he's in a, he's being told He's being told a set of ideals that the Jedi themselves have forgotten how to interpret correctly. And that's something that Luke talks about in episode, uh, what, eight? When he's yeah, dashed, it would be eight. Yeah, in episode eight. That's what he talks about, how they lost track of what the teachings really meant. And he thought coming right. back here to the source would help him understand it, and it didn't, right? But that's kind of right. – so Anakin, you know, he – He's being, he, because he's having he, these he, emotions and he's told he shouldn't be feeling them and not. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's yep. the problem. So it's not that he's had them. It's that if he'd been had the right stuff, he can't simply. Anakin dwells on his feelings, obsesses over them. He can't simply feel them and then let them go, which would have been allowed, um, which which allowed him to more coolly and rationally deal with the situation. Instead, he's obsessing over his feelings. He believes he shouldn't feel them. And so right. in order to get rid of those things, he then has to act on them violently. And that's part of this. This plays right into what they're talking about with the case with with um, a case against the Jedi. You know, that's that's what it is, is that we it's not that being in control of your emotions is bad. No, exactly. It's exactly. It's it's trying to suppress them, deny it's, them. Exactly. And you can feel the one word. There was one word that the that that video used, and that was shame. He's being taught to be ashamed of those strong feelings, and this is what where you get stories like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, mm-hmm. or even characters like the Hulk, where it's like your strong emotions are a monster. They are not right. a part of you. They are other. 
and they're not human and they will destroy everything you love. So you have to separate yourself from your emotions. And that's horrible. Right. No, that's, that is definitely the problem. That is definitely the problem with what the Jedi order in the iteration that it is during the galactic Senate days. That's what's wrong with the Jedi order. It's completely forgotten what it means to control your emotions as opposed to suppress your emotions. And, And that's kind and of where Anakin's being taught to like, he's like, Oh, you know, don't worry if your wife dies and your unborn child dies, celebrate their death. It's like, okay, you know what? No, no. Even the, the even the, the Buddhists who are very much <laughs> in about controlling their emotions by not dwelling on them would tell you, no, you mourn. I mean, yeah, hell, I got, grieve. I got in big fucking trouble at my dad's funeral because I read a Buddhist, you know, um, funeral prayer. Um, and of course my, my fundamentalist, uh, Christian stepmother just decided I was full of sickness and didn't need to be around my half brother, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah. but anyway, and further to kind of caveat the whole thing, you know, that is, that is Luke's strength is that he, at least in, at the end of return of the Jedi is that he is allowing himself to feel his emotions, but he does not cling to them. He's able to right. let them, and at the end, he's able to let them go. He casts aside his lightsaber and says, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. I've gotten, I've yeah. felt my things and I've fought you to a standstill and I'm not going to do it anymore. Well, and, and that also, him saying that out loud to Palpatine yeah. also makes his father go, oh shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that actually, that actually redeems his father too. So if you think about it, Luke, Luke's being, flagrant, being a flagrant disavowal of that particular tenet of the Jedi Order makes his father, Anakin, who the whole reason he's Darth Vader is because he's been forced mm-hmm. to feel shame for feeling feelings right. and being and been taught that he has killed everything he loves because it's his fault. Right. Because A, he w- wasn't able to control his emotions enough and B, he was too attached to the women in his life and C, he lashed out because he wasn't mm-hmm. properly in control. He listens to the, his son say that shit and yep. goes, oh, oh, right. he's right. And that is actually what redeems Anakin, too. So that whole thing is, yeah, it's like, no, I can feel this. No, I can go try and save my friends. I might fail. But let's, that's not okay. To be made to feel shame for feeling anything is horrifically damaging. And you can see that's exactly what makes Darth and, Vader. And, Darth it's Vader. The, and it's the mistake Luke Mays makes when he goes into hiding. He becomes ashamed of yes. having felt doubt and insecurity about. And so I'm, it's going to, so that's kind of has to be what the, what the final movie has to be about through via Ray and via um, Luke's ghost. He has to come back to that. No, I can't. I have to feel my things. I have to regret. I have to apologize. I think. I think there's going to be a kind of an apology to uh, um, to uh, to Ben Solo. Um, I think that yeah, and also I think that that's what Ray's journey is more like. Also because she's a woman, so she's more allowed to have emotions. Yeah, because she's another uh, character who is. I mean, her whole thing as a, as this newbie Jedi is feeling things, but not dwelling on those feelings. Yeah, and so there's been some question about, oh, is she going to turn to the dark side? And the only reason that question oh, no. is happening rescue is because, right, is because she is feeling feelings and she is not suppressing herself and she is being her entire self yep. and also extremely strong. And so everyone's like, oh, is she going to be a Sith? No, well, probably not. She's actually doing the Jedi thing. And this is something that has been foreshadowed, I think. This is just my theory from mm-hmm. a storyteller. 
na, na, na. I think that this has actually been foreshadowed by Luke because Luke and Yoda, Ghost Yoda, mm-hmm. are sitting there at the at the the sort of Jedi center and Yoda's watching going, the books burn. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the end of the conversation, Yoda's like, "Yeah, fuck, all the books, boom, they're on fire." Huh? Right. What about that? All of those teachings um, we thought because that's what's interesting. You know, Yoda gave all that bad advice in the early episodes, and now he's like, yeah. well, "No, we were wrong." Well, he knows he's he's dead now, so he knows right. he's so he at knows one. Everything. He's at one with the eternal, yeah. But like they have the whole conversation, and that's yeah. actually it's, I think part of uh, that's what I was saying is that that's why Luke puts himself in exile. He feels like he's starting to feel that Anakin like shame mm-hmm. for having such strong reactions to his emotions. Yep. And that so he's like, oh shit, I'm I'm too powerful. I need to hide myself away so I don't become another Darth Vader. Whereas actually he's much better when he is, you yeah. know, anyway. as, as displayed by his force projection into the final battle there, Absolutely. that's him, that's him finally going, Nope, I need to confront this. And, and that's strong enough that he actually fools Kylo Ren for, I was yeah. actually, well, he, he even uh, fools uh, his anecdote. sister. Anecdote. Right. I, um, <laughs> right. And she's strong with the force. She's strong enough to be frosty, frosty Leia coming yeah, you know, to survive and, and I have problems with that. Anyway, well, but <laughs> I, I mean, I can under, I can so understand anecdote. why you would have problems with it. But you see, I'm <laughs> I'm one of those people who I do not feel as antagonistic towards the prequels or these new ones as as some of the uh, the fanboys do. Oh, I'm certainly not and, nerd reaching about it. I think, it's and fine. I think it's because I just think the first one's terrible. But well, I do have a problem with the Jar Jar Binks introduction i have a problem actually i have a hot take about jar jar binks i don't think jar jar binks is any less or more irritating than c-3po was in episode four at me um i can understand why you would think that i'm not going to at you about it but i think i think jar jar's representation was as comic relief sure you kind of need him in there but at the same time it was very it was very minstrel wasn't it it was it was racist as fuck Which is weird. The whole the whole Gungan thing was. I mean, that was the problem. That was the biggest problem that I had with the first three was the abject racism of it. The Gungans were obviously like supposed to be Jamaican, and and the. uh, um, It's funny because it all came from a voice that the actor playing Jar Jar came up with as he first started. portraying it which is really weird right but the but you go to the chief gungan and it's all brrr, it's no oh, i know my yeah. God. but that's where it came from they could have dealt with that in a really cool very thoughtful way right but, but then course, but then you get that trade union ended. group in there and they were like so nakedly you know asian oh, yeah. stereotypes i know yeah the whole right? thing was ridiculous it was yeah. horrific the entire um, movie's a problem, and we can go into that, but other people have done that before. And anyway, I have an anecdote. So yeah. I played um, a Sith warrior in a friend of mine's student film. It was a trailer. Actually, it wasn't a student film. It was, it was a mock trailer for a new Star Wars movie. And I had the red lightsaber. I did the lightsaber fight and stuff. And the credits, I, I played I played Kylo Stimpy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, let's rein ourselves into the trope. Kylo Stimpy. <laughs> G-Rev. But, you know, some of the time, sometimes when I listen to these two people, particularly... Oh, idiot. Sorry. idiot. 
Drink some more wine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I've decided it's a Ren and Stimpy mode. Google so, it, kids. Google it. Be disturbed for our generation. Go ahead. So shame about emotions equals damaging. Right. And this is the thing that I f- have always struggled with when people start talking about um you know, I think we talked about this a little bit last time when Heather was here and some other stuff is that. Um, well, I write about this in the article a little bit, too. I'm like, we can't all just unleash all of our emotions whenever we want. Like right. a three year old having a temper tantrum. Right. It's not that. It's just that. But no, I, we, should, I, I, we should be taught something more healthy right, than that. Right. And. But the thing is, though, is that every time I hear people talking about you know, the problems with masculinity, the way masculinity expresses emotion and deals with that. And, and we talked about this before, how every time people end up having a discussion about gender and how we need to realize that gender is not, you know, set and defined and rigid, that it's fluid and flexible and that this it's idea, that there's this idea not only that, but there's this idea that there are feminine traits and masculine traits. And every time, so it was like one right, of those articles right. pre-read for the first one where they were talking about, where one guy was talking about toxic masculinity and he kept referring to men having to, you know, express their feminine side. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, I wanted to find him. I wanted to shake him and go, you're, you're gendering your language, which makes men resist. Right. Because right. patriarchy is all about separating the language, separating emotions and human characteristics into buckets. These are feminine things. These are masculine things. Right. And yeah. so every time I hear somebody who's writing an article about expressions of gender or, or problems with masculinity and they and they use gendered language like that, feminine emotions, masculine emotions, I want to slap them. Because you're just, you're not, all of your, all of your argument has just been lost. It's been lost. Yeah, because, because no, no dude is going to be like, oh, I should embrace my feminine side because no, that's been ingrained in him. Because to that, be a that's, bad a, that's a loss. That's a weakness. That's a surrender. That's a defeat. You cannot take somebody who is in conditioned to believe that there's a certain set of masculine traits that make you invincible, that will help you win. And these yeah. these other traits, these feminine traits will mean that you lose and you can't take that dynamic and then freely, wildly, casually say, oh, you need to f- get in touch with your feminine side. You say that to the wrong guy, he will punch you. <laughs> and, and also, how and you've lost your maybe, argument. Maybe being emotional is not a feminine thing only. Ding, ding, like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Like, right. hello, that's not just for chicks. That right. shouldn't shouldn't be. It kind of is under the patriarchy, but it shouldn't be. Emotions are human. Exactly, exactly. And it's and it's not about discovering a, a masculine side or a feminine side. It's about becoming fully human. Human. Yeah. Becoming a more complete, a more rounded, a more um, powerful human. When you have access to all of the human. human Exactly. And that should be something like, oh, if I want to be a more powerful man, I should have access to all of the human emotions, even the lady ones. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sure. And okay, that's a secondary, uh, even the lady ones. I think I like that Um, more than describe the butt. Grow a pair, even the lady ones. (laughs) (laughs) But 
No, so it's, this it's is describe the, the butt or even the lady one. <laughs> But this is this is the thing that fundamentally makes me uncomfortable every time I hear some men talking about um, becoming more emotional. And we'll run into this when we go into other tropes as well. Right, because, is because, because emotional is equated to being feminine. Well, it's not just that. It's just that when I hear them talk about it, and when I, when I hear them try to describe the kind of emotional man they're talking about, that kind of man, it's not that he has emotions— it's that they're sloppy. Oh. Right? Yeah. Because well, it comes back don't... to this, it becomes back to this Buddhist thing about control. Right, right. Right? We it's have, not that you don't have the emotions. emotions. You don't, it's not that you don't have the emotions. It's not that you repress them. For me, and this is kind of, and I think it's because of the family that I grew up in, my mother is not an, of, of, of an outwardly demonstrable emotional person. Uh she's but she has all of the emotions she just does not you know get sloppy with them right my grandmother my mom's mother was the same way the family never saw her cry it wasn't that she was sad when my grandfather died she was obviously sad you could see that in her demeanor but the crying she kept private Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And in fact, nobody knew that she had ever cried about grandpa's funeral until someone caught her kind of like in a back room by herself. She had let wow. herself cry in that moment and someone found it and that they were all very gentle with her and kind and everything was great and supportive. But this is kind of so when people talk about, you know, being emotional, I always have this vision that that what they mean by that is I've suddenly got to become this publicly weepy. And it's like, no, fuck you. I have my emotions. I feel them. And I deal with them and I let them go. And it's not that I'm repressing them. (laughs) It's that I have them under control. I feel them. I acknowledge them. I process them. I deal with it. I I feel sad when I'm sad. I know that I'm sad. I know that I'm angry. I deal with this stuff. But it's not like I'm suddenly incapacitated by them and sprawling in a puddle on the floor. And I I need your help. If, you know... if, if I'm having trouble dealing with an emotion, I don't necessarily need to talk about it and spread it out on the table and go, oh, you know, this. No, I just go grab a friend. Let's get a beard. Let's get my brain off of it. Let's do yeah, something. Yeah. Or you like you go to your therapist or something like, you know. Yeah. And, and process it in a more, I guess, controlled environment. And that's kind of but what. That's but that you've been raised, though, and you have had an emotional mm-hmm. support system that uh, that has taught you how to deal with that. Well, yes and no. Yes and no, because I still have a problem with rage. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. And that's because there is a certain tendency in some cases to repress that emotion. And I'm trying to become aware of that. Mm -hmm. But, and that's, and again, that's where you, you cross that line between having your emotions and controlling it. Right. And repressing it. There's a, there's a, it's a thin, yeah, thin, oh, yeah, narrow sure. line and you can skate, yeah. you can fall on either side in any given moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's kind of hard to deal with at times. And especially when, when you are trying, when I read a while back and I've been reading, been thinking about it a lot lately is uh, Ernest Becker's The Denial of Death. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things one of that thing, one of the the central things, and Hidden Brain just did a whole thing on on this. Oh. Um, psychologists, well, because Becker's book was more philosophy and 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 um, and logic about humans' denial and repression of the fear of death. Mm-hmm. 
But that led some psychologists to actually try and apply the scientific method to it, and they are working on what they call terror management theory. Oh, that's interesting. But it's all, but they, and they're finding that Becker's assumptions are true. And I was kind of new just by reading Becker that comparing his philosophy to my lived experience that Becker was right. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and it's because wow. humans have this weird dual nature. On one hand, we are animals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listeners, you're going to have no idea why we just started cracking up. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to tell them either. Uh, yeah, anyway, humans are <laughs> animals. You really visual <laughs> <laughs> I, I made the classic childhood finger fucking symbol. Oh, right. We shouldn't tell so them. anyway, okay. so, so humans on one hand, on one hand humans are, are animals. We're finger right? fuckers on one hand, yeah. Yep. And on the other hand, <laughs> we are we are symbolic creatures. We are creatures of metaphor and symbol. Now right? there's there's been a great blog post on the power of dower recently just about that. And it's about that specific thing, which is talking about stress in particular, but you're right, right. too, in that it's that, you know, your basic wildebeest will have this sort of reaction to seeing a lion mm -hmm. at the watering hole. This is, it's way, way better written than what I'm saying, but the basic thing was like a wildebeest will have a proper reaction to a lion at a watering hole. But as far as we have limited knowledge of the psychology of wildebeest, we, <laughs> that wildebeest is probably not walking around on a on a prairie where there are no lions imagining the lion. Right. It, it'll react to the lion appropriately, but it doesn't like stress out about the lion. It doesn't sit around imagining the lion. Humans are like, I know exactly what that lion would do to me. I can imagine it doing mm -hmm, it to me. Mm -hmm. And it instills the same kind of stress reaction to imagine the lion at the watering hole. than it would be to actually see it at the watering hole. And so we have this kind of gift or curse to be able to freak our own fucking selves out about things that we imagine. And the, what Becker would argue is that the reason we have this split is because we achieved consciousness and became aware of our own mortality. Yep. yep. And, and in, in Becker's philosophy and what these guys that are working on terror management theory have proven is that in order to function with this dual split in us between being animals and being aware and being creatures of, of, of image of symbol is that we have to find a way to repress that fear of death just enough that we can function because yeah, if we, right, if, right. if we give in, if we give in to our, our purely animal side, we'll become depressed. We'll realize we're all just mortal. We're going to die. And You'll drift towards death and suicide because oh, I'm just going to die anyway. You'll cower in a corner, afraid to do anything because it just means you're going to die. Or you can attempt to repress that fear so drastically, so severely that you become psychotic. You, right, you right. get into schizophrenia. You become you become all these delusions that you're God, that you're powerful, that you're all knowing, that you're sure. all being. That all, yeah. And that's the other side of it. But we actually have to find that nice middle ground in between the delusion and the reality of our own death in sure. order to function. Yes, we're consciously aware. Yeah, someday I'm going to die. But we have what Becker would call an immortality project. But what these psychologists are starting to point out is nifty little ways of deluding and deflecting ourselves. Yes, I know I'm going to die, 
so, but at least until then I can, I can become, I can believe in this faith tradition that'll tell me I live on after death, or if I happen to be an atheist or whatever, I can at least do things right now to be a good and decent person. I can try and improve the world after I'm gone. Trying to improve the world, trying to do whatever I can just to make sure that I am, am doing something now to make the living more appealing than the fear of dying. Right. Because it's right. not really death that scares us, it's the process of dying that we're scared of. And this is what the psychologists are pointing out. And so is, is all of this like, like emotion suppressing? Do you think this has a, a tie-in well, to, it, to it, the high rate of suicide and stuff yes, these days? Because, well, for me in particular, where this tends to come into play when it comes to, you know, growing a pair, to being emotional, mm-hmm. right? And that, and that thin line between having control of your emotions and repressing your emotions, Sure. Yeah, right? Yeah. Because... Where I screw up, where I have end up having personally my rage problem, goes into part of my um, my particular delusion that I use to repress my fear of death. I have uh, to be perfect. I have to do things right, correctly every single time. Oh, sure. I, have to, I, have my, I have to tie my shoes right the first time. I have to. The computer has to turn on and work the first time. All of the paper has to print out. I have to write correctly. I have to live correctly. I have to. Have, I have to be in control of my emotions. Mm. I have to be in control of my emotions. Mm-hmm. If I'm not in control of my emotions, then what that tends to do, particularly if I get obsessed about why I'm. I'm you know, tense, angry, sleepy, whatever. I'm, I'm not in control of myself and something goes wrong. What happens is like, I'm mortal. <laughs> Fuck. I better fucking mash that thing uh, down and get myself back yeah. to that point where I'm like, okay, I can, I'm not scared of dying because any, Mr. Hyde comes in, right? That, that recognition of my being imperfect is the recognition of my mortality. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. you have to, you got to suppress that, whatever emotion that is, that's making you aware <laughs> of your, Im, of your mortality, push that fucker down and becoming aware of that trigger has kind of actually increased my, my, I guess you call it my functional Buddhism. <laughs> Functional right. Yeah. Well, because because I'm aware of what's going on now, I'm not just reacting, you know, gut to this thing. I'm 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 becoming more aware of those moments when things are not being perfect. Well, you're and more I would normally, balanced then between the animal reaction and the human reaction, right? Right. right. And I've, in that I've, case. I've learned to recognize and feel those emotions that lead to that, which previously I had been repressing under the delusion that I was controlling them. And therefore perfect and therefore, you know, not afraid of dying. So even though all humans have this fear of dying mm-hmm. and this in this um, sort of delicate balance that we need to go through. Right. There is still the reason that this is a trope for uh, male characters mm-hmm. is that boys are still raised in this particular way, which is the exactly. boys don't cry thing. The boys exactly. aren't allowed to express that like boys don't cry, suck it up. Right. Right. They're not, they're girls, not, girls aren't really taught that. Girls are taught different differently how to deal with that. If you're a girl and you cry, if, you, if you're a little girl and you skin your knee, you're allowed to cry a little bit about it. If you're a boy and you skin your knee, you're still taught to, sh- to stop crying as soon as possible or not cry at all. But women are taught to repress their anger. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and this is something we could talk about when we go back, if we want to visit again Judith Levine's book on... on um, 
misandry on women on man hating and ambivalence in women's lives by enemy my oh, love. That'd be interesting. Because yeah. she she talks about how these uh, stereotypes that women come up with these negative stereotypes of men that that women use is all about finding a way to express that rage they have to suppress because they sure. can't they can't be angry because that invites punishment from the patriarchy because then her, they're hysterical right um so it's yeah there's a weird human you know so we so that's the other thing i guess we should mention about growing a pair for guys you know is is yeah we have to repress all the human emotions except anger right. and women can feel all the emotionals all the human emotions except anger that's a really good point that is something i right. never thought about with this trope though too you can see it in the characters yeah you can see it in in the in the most popular characters of of both binary genders which mm -hmm. unfortunately they kind of all are at this point still yeah, right. that's absolutely true. The only emotion allowed is anger, or that's the only emotion that's that comes out is anger. And it's the only it one that's rewarded. And it tends to be violence. Yeah, exactly. Right. It tends to be rewarded in, in lots of action heroes. But like for female characters, for female badass characters in particular, mm -hmm. the anger, the rage turns into, oh, now she's crazy killer bitch that needs to be put down. Like I'm thinking about Daenerys Targaryen. Like she was a really amazing conqueror and she would have been lauded for that if she were a male character. But then suddenly she has like rage or she go, she went too far and then she right. clicked over into, oh, now she's the crazy bitch that is like too far. Yep. Whereas she'd be called Alexander the Great, you know, if she were a man or whatever. But yeah, that's a really good point. The anger being the sort of, I don't know, uh, lever lever point or I don't right. know. It's, That's it's interesting. The, it's the one thing that that where the genders kind of touch, but it, they touch in in a weird kind of magnetic opposing. You know how when you try to push two mags together, they they slip from one yeah. way because you can't have emotion that on you can't have that emotion, but you can have all the others, and so there's there's a weird third level of anger there. So there's the the repressed anger at not being able to access anger. Then there's the repressed anger from men. It, they can only access anger, but they're angry because they can't access emotions. And then, there's the, and then there's the anger generated between <laughs> the two because they're jealous of the other gender for being able to access the thing they have to repress. Wow. Right? That was something I didn't even think about. That's fascinating. <laughs> no, that's definitely fascinating. I would like to do an entire, like, separate adjunct article about anger in particular with with in relation to gender with characters yeah in relation to yeah. gendered characters in particular because you know as we always say the culture reflects the the art and the art reflects the culture it's it's both ways so well, that would be really fascinating let's take a little moment and let's revisit the mother knows best trope because that one you can find these all at writershq.ca. Yes, because in that one, <laughs> Ripley is allowed to be angry, right, in defense of a child. In that moment, what? Ripley's allowed to be angry because that whole her scene. And her anger is very destructive, but she's only allowed to be angry against a female. Her anger against the males is shut down. 
true, but she's allowed to express that anger. She's still allowed to express a, a very narrow form of anger towards the other woman, towards the other female character. But if you take the follow-up movie into account, she's punished for that anger oh, yeah. because she yeah. has the child taken away from her. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's true. She's punished for anger. Yeah. So this that feeds right into this. And of course And she's called and she's sort of called a crazy bitch throughout, which is of course what happens when a woman gets angry, she's called a crazy bitch and well, she was yeah. especially called a crazy bitch in in the movie where she's on the prison camp after in the in sure. the third one. Yeah, she's yeah. a crazy bitch for the whole thing. There's but, but even they, even the second one, she's they're still like shut the fuck up. Yeah, and she's like I saw my whole crew die. You fuckers, <laughs> and they're just like shut up. And the only person <laughs> and the only person who doesn't call her a crazy bitch is is um. Shit, I want to call him Reese because he was Reese in the Terminator movies, but it's the same actor. It's the different. What the the fuck was his name in the Aliens movie? I can't IMDb right now. Hold on a second. I don't want to IMDb. You IMDb. And in the meantime, our our listeners are like yelling at us. I know they're screaming. (laughs) They're screaming at us. It's it's Brandon. I have these moments so many times. I listen to other podcasts. I'm like, no, you're wrong. It's blah, blah, blah. blah. And here I am. I'm on on my iPad and I can't find my damn browser. So like at the moment, everybody's like having a conniption fit. It's this. It's It's this. You know what? Just comment on it. It's fine. Right. So we'll look at him and go, oh, yeah. He's he's the only one who doesn't ever call her a crazy bitch. He's like immediately recognizes the danger. Um, and, yeah, and, right. and, and helps her out. Punished later, yeah. But then if you look at the anger thing, where anger is the only thing that you can express, and we could go back to the, the case against the Jedi Order and the Anakin case. Uh-huh. Then we have this anger is this way that the only way that Anakin can grieve, he's not allowed to actually grieve his mother's death, his fear for his wife. He's not allowed to do that. Everyone, all the Jedi are like, oh, suppress your, (laughs) what? Hicks. Hicks? Oh, Hicks. Hicks. God damn it. So the only Uh, way, so the only way Anakin's allowed to grieve. The only way he's allowed to greet, because all the Jedi around him are like, oh, just let go of your feelings right. or your feelings betray you and all this kind of shit. And the only way he's he's even able to do any kind of expression of grief mm-hmm. is by anger. He slaughters all of the Tusken Raiders. He slaughters the children. That's the only outlet He's, he's he a mass shooter. Anakin Skywalker turns into yes. a mass shooter. No, yeah. he absolutely is. And, and you can see... If you go through all of the prequel movies, you can see exactly the process that forces him into that. I mean, he makes he makes the choices he makes. He chooses to go to the dark side. OK, sure. He listens to the evil dude. Tell him that the dark side is powerful. But listen to wh- what he tells him. He's like, if you go to the dark side, you're going to get enough power to save your wife. And the only way he just like if you join the Aryan nation, to- you'll get enough power to save your white culture. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You're in danger. You're in danger right now. No, exactly. Exactly. And it's just like, yeah, you can just see he he slaughtered the Tuscan Raiders. He's like, I killed them all. I killed the children. And and everyone's horrified, but he's just like, What? I'm not allowed you're not allowed to let me cry at the grave of my mother, for God's sake, you know, or for whatever the Jedi have sake. You know what I mean. <laughs> 
So that's, yeah, that's exactly, and you can see the damage. Oh, that's really fascinating. I want to do a whole article on anger now. But no, I mean, that's the thing about this particular trope is that, you know, they, by having picked um, Anakin as the prime example of the grow a pair trope, it's everywhere, though. You yeah. actually, you actually provided, you actually picked a uh, a cinematic universe in which you have the redemptive antidote to that trope, which is dying. Well, no, which is Luke. Well, whatever, well, whatever we want to identify right. Luke as as a trope, he's the antidote to grow a pair. I don't know that he's an antidote. I think he's very human. He's he he tries Isn't to do better. That the antidote to. Do. to <gasps> Isn't that to be the- a real to be a full human regardless of gender? Right. We figured it out. Okay. That, just so Luke is Luke is the- school, we figured out the world's problems <laughs> together. <laughs> I mean, well, well, this is this is why when you're a, this is why when you're a boy, this is why when you're a because I the same thing. Here's something that that we hadn't really gotten to yet. Okay, so as a as a young boy, as a young prepubescent boy, I was all about Luke Skywalker. Uh-huh. Once I hit puberty, fuck it, it was Han Solo. Me too, but for different reasons. But go ahead. Right. And it isn't n- until now, until after the most recent movies, that I'm kind of drifting back towards Luke again. Not that Han Solo doesn't have a similar journey of being... Because he he does start off when you first see Han Solo, he is very much the the repressed male. Yeah, the flyboy. The that's kind of what Poe is in the new, new right. Movies. And and Han Solo might actually fit into some of our later tropes for toxic masculinity, but he also grows and develops. By the time he ends up confronting his son on that catwalk. He's a full human being. Yes, he's, and you know what? He's still grumpy. He's still grumpy, which is good, but he's a full human being. Well, he's himself. Right. Just being a full, not, you know, being a full human being doesn't mean he's not himself. It means he's even more himself. And this actually adds to this, this fan theory that I'm fully in, I'm sorry, I'm eating chocolate. That's right. Um, that, I'm, that I'm fully in, I'm fully on board with, which is that Han knew what was about to happen. Oh, Yeah. When he confronted his son, he's like, "You're just, I know you're going to kill me, and I hope that you don't. I hope that you could turn away from the dark side at the last minute, but I bet you won't. I bet this will be your last moment into the dark side, and I'm ready for it. it he, he knew, I think, and this is the thing that I believe, I believe it too. I believe Han Solo knew that that moment that he was most likely going to die. And I think he knew that his death was important, whether Ben immediately turn to the dark side or or doesn't his death was important in that moment because that has to be the thing that ben carries with him yeah and i think that ben asking him please help me wasn't please help me to not turn to the dark side i think he's like please help me turn to the dark side well he's like okay because the only way Ben can get out of the spiral that he was in is to go to the dark side yeah, and then come back. He has to, to, to he, has side, to yeah. he has to kind of do Anakin's journey. Right. But for different reasons. Yep. Because Ben has 
Ben Solo, oh, so, Kylo wait, Ren. Let's let's go back to this trope though. This is the thing about Kylo Ren too. Yeah. About Kylo Stimpy is that <laughs> he is a character. Now he is a character who is <laughs> who is who is kind of muddy as far as his. <laughs> and that's only because the character the other character is Ren, right? I just love it. Yes. Right. I love it so much. So, but <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, if I'm trying to pull us back to the trope. Um, and not the wine giggles. <laughs> is that <laughs> no? It's like we're solving the world's problem giggles. It's so exciting. What? But that if um, so, so Kylo is very much a muddy character when it comes to his dark side, light side kind of thing. I, I think in the first, I think in the first two sequel movies, he we're, we're actually meant to to sort of sort of wonder what what are you? I mean, he you know he has his his grandfather's old like Darth Vader helmet that he admired. Yeah, he went back to Endor and, and got the and fucking so, mask. Yeah, right? The melted burn. He what probably has f- his like charred skull inside of it or some shit. Like some serious goth crap. He's a total goth teen. But like <laughs> But like with some of his with some of his interactions with Ren with Ren with with Ray, we're sort of like, well, I don't know if he 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 obviously is trying to recruit her to his side, but you know he's way he's way more muddy when it comes to dark side light side than say Darth Vader was, or say the certainly of, from Palpatine or from well, Snoke yeah. or whatever the fuck that weird Palpatine and Snoke master was definitely so, dark side. Darth Vader was Darth Vader was 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 cool. Well, Darth, because, Darth Vader was completely dark side until Luke was like, "Hey, father, hi." Anakin Skywalker, there's good in you. And Darth Vader's like, whoa, hey, hey, kid, quit it. Right. He wasn't really there until Luke started to prod him like that. But Kylo is completely, my point is, coming back to the trope, Kylo Ren is very emotional. His oh, yeah. whole thing is about unleashing his emotions. And right. he is not always in control, but he kind of, he masters himself kind of, like he'll have like teenage temper tantrums. But then he'll also sort of pull it together at the last moment. So he's not fully in control. He does lash out. But he is also fully in charge of all of his emotions. He has all that fucking anger towards... um, But he also has a lot of hurt, and he expresses that hurt. Especially when you look at the dialogue between him and Ray. He has a lot of very deep sort of hurt. And he he's like talking about Ray's vulnerability, and so he that's like part of his strength. Even his janky lightsaber kind of like expresses that, right? Right. So right. that's part but it's, of his but it's the, it's dark the lack, side strength. It's 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 dwelling on the emotions. He's making the mistake. Yes. But in the right. opposite direction. Right. right. He's he's rebelling against he's, the Jedi. I mean, like, fuck you. He's giving he's, also, he's giving free reign to all of his emotions without any discipline. At all times, right? Exactly. Without right. The discipline. And some kind of in between is great. Like if you have the discipline of the Jedi, but the embrace of yourself as a human being of the right. Sith, and the and so far the, the and so far the only two Jedi who have managed that that combination have been Luke in return. Yep. And, and Ray. Yeah. Period. Have been the only right. ones that that have managed that. And what you have is you have the. Uh, you have Luke Skywalker, who's always been criticized, always been criticized as some kind of weird, petulant child throughout the whole thing. Or, you know, the the uh, 
I don't know quite how to describe it. I've, I've heard it described several different ways. Um, well, he was a whiny teenager. The whiny four, teenager. But, Why can't I do it? Why can't I want to go to Tashi Station because the power converter. Hey, look, we were all whiny teens. All of us were whiny teens. Even I was a whiny teen at one point. I know you don't believe me. I know you don't believe me. This is this is why. <laughs> this is why. Um, what was his uncle's name? Aunt Baru, and what was his uncle's name? Uncle Owen. Owen and Baru. These are like the unsung fucking heroes of the whole series because no they raised shit. Luke to be a human being. Yep. Yeah, the whole thing. He has too much of his father in him. And they tried I'm, to control for of. that. And they tried to control for that. They tried to raise him right. They gave him a little bit of discipline, and the, but yet they still remotely. <laughs> they gave him a little bit of discipline, and they also allowed him to kind of be himself. Yeah, and have friends like Biggs was his friend and stuff. Yep. And so, yeah, Owen and Baru, man, they're the real fucking heroes. Of the whole fucking Star Wars trilogy. You know what? I'm <laughs> raising my glass to Owen and Baru. Yeah, click. <laughs> may they, may they. Rest in peace. Their poor charred remains. And the, so that yeah, so the whole the whole problem of growing a pair of trope boils down to having engaged parental figures. <laughs> yeah, no, really, or or having being raised to be a full human being, right, rather than a, a crippled version, rather than being a girl or a. Boy, because if you're a because if, human. if you're in, if you're raised to only embrace the feminine gender traits, you're crippled. If you're raised to embrace only the masculine traits, as patriarchy defines these two traits, if you're raised you're only crippled. to that, you're crippled. Yep. And yep. that is an undeniable fact of yep. this society. And that is that is the undeniable foundation of all of these tropes is that the patriarchy wants to sit there and say there are ma there's a way to be a masculine person Divide. and there's a way to be a feminine person and you can't cross or blend the two. And if you do, well, fuck you. We're going to break you, destroy yeah. you. Then you're a ball buster if you're a woman or you're a soy boy if you're a man, right? Exactly. I can you know, hear your kitty again. I know. She's very upset with me. She's cueing us that it's time to, to hang up. Uh, getting close to it. So, yeah, it's. <laughs> we solved the problems, we, uh, listeners. We've solved it. <laughs> Take this chair. new knowledge and go out into the world and make the world a better place. No, I don't know. No, I'm that. not even kidding. I mean, I'm kind of being I'm waxing rhapsodic about it, but that's absolutely <laughs> true. I think we nailed something really important right there, which you're right, is going to be important for all of the tropes, too. Yeah. You know, there's an old thing that Dan Savage always used to say is that you know, in, in our in our in our patriarchal society, we like to tell people, you know, in the 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 uh, the cliche we like to trot out when we want people to be tough and and strong and and powerful is we tell them to like our, this trope, grow a pair. And we're referring to testicles. And he's like, he's like, dude, that's like the weakest, worst <laughs> thing you could tell somebody because those testicles are exposed. And if you even graze a guy's nuts, he's you like immediately the on the ground, like, oh, ooh, ooh. he goes, the tougher, the tougher genitalia is the vagina because that thing yeah. can take a pounding. <laughs> but you call, but you call someone a pussy when you call them weak. Right? And we should actually flip it. If you want yeah, someone to totally be strong, it. you should tell people to like over up or pussy up because <laughs> 
pussies, man, they can take a beating. Balls cannot. You you no. just flick them wrong, and you're like, ooh, ooh, yeah. What are you, a scrotum? What are you, a scrotum? Yeah. I'm a... <laughs> Exactly. Okay, that's the actual title of this. <laughs> what are you, a scrotum? Grow a pair. What are you, a scrotum? What are you, a scrotum? <laughs> that's absolutely right. Yep, yep. I've heard that too. That's yep. totally true. And I but agree. It's this, it's this weird, like, skewed. It's patriarchy. It's mm-hmm. it's particularly imperialist patriarchy. But yep. yeah. And so I'm going to reiterate this: toxic masculinity is not masculinity. It's not men. Men are not the problem. Patriarchy Correct. is the problem. It's how we condition men to behave, not only to in within and towards society, but within and towards themselves. Themselves and others. Yep, exactly. It's both an internal and an external problem for men. Right. And if and and just focusing on the external makes the internal man feel isolated. Yep, even more isolated than they already are, which they already fucking are. Right, like, and it's like what we talked about with the last one. You know, you yeah. you tell men you want them to come out of the shell, and so they try to come out of the shell, but because they don't have practice coming out of the masculine shell, they, they make mistakes. Up. Yeah, and then you smack them for making a mistake, and they're like, nope, 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 no, no. Okay, going back into the shell. Going so, back into the shell. Bye. Let me fun. put my armor back on because obviously <laughs> yeah. I can't step out without my armor. You'll fuck me up. Come out of your shell, they and said. We It'll be to, fun, they said. We have to find a way to, and this is not just a, a personal thing because of recent things that have happened to me, but we have to find a way to, and and we could talk about this at length because I've been we reading. We will for each trope, I have a feeling. This is going to be a central theme for each trope. But, um. Uh, Douglas Rushkoff is talking about this concept in, in, in his book, Team Human, which is this manifesto. And he's oh. talking about how um, social media, the Internet, how we've become a victim of our own algorithms. Oh, interesting. Is causing us to be isolated, even uh-huh. more so than, than normal. And what that isolation kind of creates and this, this focus on algorithms and technology is this idea that things can be perfect and clean mm. and, and computer, just binary. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And people totally are not, not people are not binary. We nope. cannot, we cannot suddenly decide, oh, I'm going to be a full human being and suddenly be right all the time. No, hell no. That's a binary switch. And there has yeah. to be a transitional period for particularly m- men enmeshed in, in the patriarchy. There has sure. to be a, 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 an in-between place where they can make the effort and be allowed to fuck up. Yeah, that's important. And, that's and, be, important. and, and, and have a gentle hand go, oh, hey, Bob, by the way, you fucked you up. You fucked up, so... And it's okay. Don't go back into your shell, but here's how you fucked up. So here's what's, here's the weight stuff on it. So try and think about that for a little bit, as opposed to Bob, you fucked up. I'm going to cripple you. Also, fuck you and mock. Fuck you. Fuck your mother. Fuck your father. Fuck your dog. We're going to kill your cat and set your house on fire. It is all men. God damn it. Yeah. No. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There needs to be room to fuck up a little bit. Right. Because this has been a long time coming. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. And we are not going to change a, a cultural system that has in, been in place for more than a millennia. That's what this, I mean. This whole patriarchal thing has been several thousands of years, if not a million years in the making. Because this is, it is one of two ways that a, an animal society can construct itself. Bonobos are matriarchal. Gorillas are patriarchal. Yeah, but there's right? this, the, we're, we're this in-between thing, like you were just exactly. saying about that other scholar. And like I was, I've been listening right. to and reading a little of Sapolsky lately. He's a neurobiologist. You've heard of him? Yeah. So he's, he's like, okay, so we're not this one kind of, we're not a tribal society. We're not, a, I forget the two terms, but mm-hmm. no, my, my partner is yelling at his phone right now listening to this. But um, <laughs> it's not one or the other. We're kind of, but we're actually in the middle. We're both. We function in two simultaneous ways. And so there, you're right. There does have to, because like you were saying, the patriarchy has been in place for, well, definitely as long as we've had written history. And it, and it would not so be like, in place if it had not at one time been beneficial in some way to both parties. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. because a patriarchal structure, a, a healthy patriarchal structure acknowledges the fact that that women are burdened by gestation for nine months, which is debilitating. And then after childbirth, you're also hampered by having a child attached to your boob. You're the food source. Right, right. Right. And so that limits the amount of activity and risk that a woman can take. And so patriarchy says, okay, woman being the center. Now, this is patriarchy if we divorce it from misogyny. But we. Right, right. And and that's another topic, patriarchy and misogyny, what misogyny does, what its function was and what its original non-toxic function was in society. Well, I mean, hatred of women is never a good thing, but I know what you're saying. Like, what patriarchy is okay. Right, but what it is, it, by, by, by splitting the roles of the genders, which is what patriarchy did, by saying, you know, women being the, the child bears and the, and, the, and, the, and the initial nurturers, they which have is to the be... Most, which, which is where patriarchy is like, hey, we'll send the men out to go hunt and go, go to war. To risk we'll, their we'll immediate protect, lives and protect the women. And we will protect women. the women who are more important because they're the ones that give the birth. Post-agriculture, post-industrialization, post-technology. Sure. That's that, no longer valid. That's no longer valid, which is why you're having women say, hey, wait a minute. This sucks. This sucks, and I can do everything you're doing in this version of culture, in this version of yeah. our society. I can go to war. We're I can, no longer slightly more upright than apes anymore. Right. We're like, you know. <laughs> right. And, and we, have, we have such domination over the planet right now. We are not, you know, at one point in, in, in human evolution, we were an endangered species. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. Because we are not yeah. the fastest. Yeah, we we're not good. the strongest. Woo-hoo. We don't have the biggest teeth or the strongest muscles, the densest bones. We, I mean, we, we experience this now when we go out in the wild and a mountain lion in Colorado, where we apparently yeah. are civilized, devours uh, somebody. Yeah. 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 Well, Mother we Nature. Have the biggest, we don't have the biggest brains, though, which is, again, we, exactly. why we have dominated, which is, but also which is why, why we can dominate and why we can fuck killed. ourselves up better than anybody yeah. else. <laughs> exactly. Right. Which is our talk about that whole stress imagination thing and about how too dominant we have become over exactly. here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and and why the patriarchy is now not 
no longer valid. However, just like you were just talking about, it's gonna, it's not just a matter of, Hey, this sucks and you should believe it. So let's change it all. Like that's not just going to happen. That's right, going right. to take a long we've got, time. We've got several millennia worth of gene culture coevolution to try and undo. Oh, sure. And we're not going to yeah. undo that in 60 years. Right, exactly. Or even or even 100 years probably. Right. No. <laughs> and and the interesting thing is though is that you know we were talking earlier about Ernest Becker and yeah. you know the the trying to find that balance between being the animal and the symbol. I really wish listeners you could see Jason's gestures right now. They're very illustrative. And the thing is that that not only is a is a personal balance that we as individuals have to take regarding our fear of the process of dying, mm-hmm. but is a cultural and societal balance that we have let skew too much to the image. Ah, good. This is why we're thinking we can dominate the world and solve it everything with technology and fix it by being more than an, more than the integrated animal that we are in this planet. We have to right. recenter ourselves closer to the actual median between animal and image, or we're going to technologize ourselves right into the fucking grave. We're going to extinct unless ourselves. Unless we've done that already, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're on the verge of it right now. This is why we have to eat the rich. <laughs> and that's an excellent conclusion. Well right. said, sir. Let's grow a pair For of giant. Next- let's grow a pair of giant teeth and eat the four hundred richest people in the world. Because and yeah, and on that note, yay! So we'll hey, see each other. You know what? It's a modest proposal. Eh. Uh, Death works. <laughs> <laughs> and we're out. The Outrider Podcast is orchestrated by me, Jason Quinn-Malott, and audio production magic is performed by Heather Ann Eden. You can find the show online at jquinnmalott.com, and if you would, please hop on iTunes and give us a rating. We'll be back later in 2020 with more miniseries, live shows, and one-on-one conversations with writers, editors, and publishers. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.